0: Christian Revelations is a completely free podcast for the new Christian looking to learn more about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and how to implement His teachings in our lives and the world today, and for the older Christian looking to dig deeper into the Word of God, edification, and the fellowship of the body of Christ. And now our host, Pastor Robert. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the the chances that we get to worship openly in your house and come together in fellowship and have the bond of brotherhood and sisterhood and Mm -hmm. live a life that glorifies your name. I ask you to watch over those who are not able to be here tonight and also watch over the ones who are here and keep us safe throughout the week and throughout our days and bring us back safe next Sunday. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Just a little bit down. All right. As always, I usually start with a question because I'm always asking questions. So my question is, do we truly believe that a person can be born again? We are all born with a sinful nature. There's no way around it. It doesn't matter if your parents are born-again Christians, you don't inherit the Christian spirit or the born-again, you have to seek Amen. God on your own. That's right. Our born-again status cannot be transferred from one person to another, right. it is ours alone. Mm-hmm. If we could transfer it, my mom would have already said, hey, can you uh, pick up some of that spirit in a baptism for your brothers? <laughs> We must, we must be baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no way around it. John 3, 5 says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unfortunately, we are all also born with a strong urge to judge people. It seems that we as humans have, it makes us feel better to look down on others. It's easy for us to say, that guy over there has done so many things wrong, and I thank God I'm not sinning like he is. Uh, I know that I'm not completely free of sin, but that guy over there, man, oh man. <laughs> we, uh, we have a tendency to look at other people and judge them. Luke 6.37 says, Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven. Now this is where we have to be vigilant in our walk with Christ. If we are born again, we need to avoid and fight our propensity for sin. And if we want others to see us, as that new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him then we must not be controlled by our natural desire to judge other people. Mm -hmm. So if we believe that we are born again then we must believe that other people can be born again as well. Mm -hmm. There is no varying degrees of born again. We either are or we aren't. If we are born again then. Why do we sometimes put rules and stipulations on people that encompass their life prior to be being born again? Why do we view their life as a whole rather than their life after salvation? When did salvation by the grace of God and spiritual rebirth become limited to rather than without limits? I was reading the other day about churches that were being attacked and they were being attacked because they were not following God's law. The men that were attacking them were trying to discredit the churches and their Christ centered faith based preaching. They started to attack the man in charge by saying that he had no right preaching the word of God. They insisted on a strict adherence to laws regulations and ceremonies. Those who have lived by those laws and regulations were the obvious choices to run the churches and bring the people back to God. This whole salvation by grace thing was not entirely true. The insistence on following uh, following laws and regulations was a direct contradiction of the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. It goes against the belief that we are set free from the bondage of sin and law. It takes away the freedom that God gives us to live lives of faithfulness and righteousness, free from sin's control and free from the laws that we were told to follow if we wanted to be saved. These men were destroying the belief that a person can be born again and forgiven of past sins by grace alone. We believe that Jesus died so that we may live. We believe that we are born again spiritually and we have a new life in Christ. We believe that our strength comes from the Holy Spirit who is our guide. is our strength and our reminder that we are truly and unconditionally loved. So what could be done about the people who were trying to destroy the truth of salvation by the grace of God? The answer to that is easy. Write a letter. We would write a letter that would be so great and profound that it would be described as the Magna Carta of spiritual liberty. It would be the battle cry of the Reformation, and it would be the Christians' independence. It would be our declaration of independence. Now, it would be a bit presumptuous of us to think that we could write so well, and I'm sure that Paul did not see what his letter to the Galatians, the impact it would have on the future of the Christian faith. His only concern was ensuring that the believers of Galatia were following the gospel as preached by him and those he had mentored. The churches being attacked were in Galatia and the letter was a heartfelt and deeply personal letter to Paul's (laughs) spiritual children, the Galatians. Mm -hmm. In his letter to the Galatians, Paul's goal was to expose the false teachings of the Judaizers' gospel and their diluted motives. He needed the Galatians to reject the false teachings and embrace their spiritual freedom in Christ. The Galatians were being confused by all the rules and all the regulations that were being put on them by the Judaizers. They were not holding to the gospel's purity and simplicity. We all know that Paul was not born a Christian. In fact, Paul was so against Christianity that he secured permission to imprison them, torture them and even murder them. Of course, at that time, we were not called Christians. It was not until Antioch that we were given the name Christian. Paul was educated as a rabbi and studied under Rabbi Gamaliel. Though Gamaliel is mentioned several times in the scripture and out of scripture by the historian Josephus, his most famous, what he is most famous for is his most famous student, Saul of Tarsus. It was under the rabbi Gamaliel that Paul developed an expert knowledge of the Hebrew scriptures. Paul's educational and professional character allowed him to preach in any synagogue anywhere His grasp of the Old Testament and the Old Testament laws also helped him in his presentation of Jesus Christ as the one who fulfilled the laws. One day while on the road to Damascus, Jesus appears to Paul. After the encounter, Paul loses his sight and the men that are with, with him have to lead him on to Damascus. And he stays in the house of Judas, in a room by himself, praying. He doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, he just stays there praying. And the Lord appears to a disciple, Ananias, and tells him, Paul is expecting you, and you need to go lay your hands on him and give him his sight. And Ananias reluctantly goes over, lays his hands on Paul, and gives him his sight. And Paul is immediately baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. His blindness is not something that we can just brush off as something great because he saw Jesus, he went blind. It's not only that. His blindness isn't just a simple lack of sight. His eyes were closed as a Christian murdering rabbi, and they were opened as a faithful servant of Christ. Though Paul uses his previous education as a building block for his ministry, he is in no way, shape, or form the same man that he was three days prior. Paul, Paul was born around 3 A.D., and he was converted between 33 and 36 A.D., and he died between 62 and 67 A.D., That would put him at 30 years old at the time of conversion and 60 at the time of his death. So halfway through his life, he had what my father would call a volcanic transformation and he began to preach the gospel. So how could a man go from persecuting and killing Christians to being the authority on what it is to be a Christian? Why would a... 30 year old Jewish man who was probably groomed to be a member of the Sanhedrin turned his back on everything that he knew and preached about a man that prior to the road of Damascus he never met. He did this because he was born again. Amen. His life in Christ was new and separate from his life as the persecutor of Christians. Now, if we truly believe that a person can be born again, then we must truly believe that, like Paul, their previous life is no longer who they are. Amen. If we become new in Christ, then any guidelines, rules, or anything that has to do with Christianity should only apply to our lives after conversion. The point of shedding our past life To have a new life in Christ and free from bondage is so that we can live as faithful servants of Christ and shed that old life of ours. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 5. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 of Galatians, give us hope. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and not entangled with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. For we are through the Spirit, we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Under the gospel, we are unshackled. We are given freedom. We are freed from the service of ceremonial law and the burden of moral law. Though we obviously hold tight to the moral understandings that God has written on our hearts, we are not crushed by the burdens of sin because we are free in Christ. We are made new. Verses 13 through 16 of Galatians chapter 5 tell us how to live. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye not be, con- not be consumed one another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul is telling us that we should walk in the freedom that we are given through Christ. The gospel is a doctrine of godliness. And even though we are forgiven and freed from sin, we are under an obligation to avoid it and not allow it to control us. We shouldn't... We shouldn't go back to our old ways. We should walk in the newness of life. He tells us that loving each other is fulfilling the law. He urges us not to fight amongst ourselves. When we are born again, like Paul, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And he tells us to walk in that spirit. Let that spirit guide us and keep us safe. ...from the temptations of the flesh. By no means are we completely free from sin... ...but we are free of its control... ...and we are given the strength and guidance to subdue it. Will we ever sin again? Yes. The moment we think we've beaten sin... ...we'll find out that we are not as pure as we think. And if you can show me a man who says he does not sin... I'll show you a man who's guilty of lying. Verses 22 through 26 bring to light the fruits of the Spirit. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we are given the emotions and actions that come with our life in Christ. We find that love and joy are more than just feelings, they are characteristics of a life walking in the Spirit. Paul is showing us that these fruits are a part and parcel of the life of a born-again Christian. Characteristics given to us by the Spirit because of never-ending love and grace of God. Chapters 5 chapter 5 verse 22 through 26, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christs have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another or envying one another. Paul tells us that Paul tells us of the fruits that are coming from the Spirit. These are not fruits of the flesh, and they are not fruits that are naturally infused into every human. They are fruits given to those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. Those who have been born again in the Spirit bear fruits which go against the flesh and our desire to contradict and fight each other. The fruits of the Spirit do not call out the actions of those we believe to be wrong. The fruits of the Spirit do not judge or condemn others. The fruits of the Spirit do not put us above others so that we can point out their, point out their sins and shame them. The fruits of the Spirit do not give us the authority to say, You have done wrong and I thank God that I have not sinned like you have. They are fruits of love. And of kindness and of joy. The fruits of the Spirit recognize the fruits of the Spirit in others and embrace them without a desire for judgment or condemnation. Paul tells us that there is no law against the fruits of the Spirit, no law to condemn or punish them. The fruits of the Spirit are under grace, Those who bear these fruits are walking in the spirit by the grace of God. Paul tells us what we should oppose and avoid, and he tells us what we should pursue and cherish and nourish. Paul is telling us that the goal and endeavor of all Christians should be the bearing of these spiritual fruits. So how could a man who literally wrote the book on what is required of bishops, deacons, and, and their qualifications, be a strong advocate of old things passing and new things coming. 2 Corinthians says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, Amen. behold, new things have come. If the old things have passed, then how do we measure the character of a person? Is it possible possible that Paul wrote his pastoral epistles and any other guidelines strictly for Christians? The Christian faith was relatively new in the grand religious scheme of things. So was he writing it for the Jewish people or for Christians or for pagans? Could it be that the majority of his writing was directed towards new Christians who were previously pagan. They were born again, they were new in Christ, filled with the Holy Spirit, and bearing the fruits of this new life. Could it be that Paul's rules and qualifications and his guidelines would have included, ye shall not be pagan, or thou shalt not be the persecutor, torturer, and murderer of Christians if he wanted to judge people for what they were before they were Christians. If he was telling us to take into account the actions of the life before we are born again, he he would have added more if he would have said, you need to look at what they did before. Paul was writing strictly to Christians, knowing that who they were before is not who they are now do we think that Paul would have written so much about the newness of life if he did not believe that a person could be born again and become new Romans 6 4 says therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death so that Christ was raised and my pages are stuck together from the, from the dead through the glory of the Father so we too might walk in the newness of life. In the Bible, the Holy Spirit is often described as the wind. The wind can change the shape and structure of the earth and all that we have built, forcing us to start a new life in the aftermath of change. We cannot see the wind. And we don't know where it's going to come from, but we can see what it has done. Sometimes it's a simple breeze that picks up the leaves from your yard and puts them in your neighbor's yard. And other times it is a strong force that destroys everything that it touches. In many cases, the Holy Spirit only needs to change or tweak little things about our lives. Other times it has to completely destroy everything that we have that we have created and guide us in creating a new life. God has gift-wrapped salvation for us. He has placed it before us and given us the choice to either accept it or run from it. Some of us accept it without question. Others run so far from it that we've passed the point of running away and we've come to the point of running towards. And the end scenario is the same thing. We all end up new in Christ. God has a purpose for all of us. And he has gifts and he has callings. If we are going to use those gifts and follow that calling in a way that will truly glorify the Lord, we must be born again and filled with the Holy Spirit. When we walk in the Spirit, we bear the fruits of the Spirit. Mm -hmm. We use our fruits and embrace our gifts and our callings for the glory of the Lord without reservation and without shame. Nothing can take away the love and grace of God that we are freely given. Like it says in Romans 11:29, for the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, meaning they are irrevocable. We are truly grateful that you have chosen to join us here today at Christian Revelations. We hope you were just as blessed in receiving the message as we were in preparing and delivering it. We welcome you back anytime with open arms, open hearts, and open Bibles with your host, Pastor Robert. Blessings.